Welcome back to the Adrian Bone Podcast featuring Troy Malcolm. Adrian, uh, this is a podcast that we know is getting a lot of traction. We've seen the numbers come through. You guys keep sending us through your questions, your feedback. Thank you for doing that. We really enjoyed everything we see. Adrian, over the last couple of weeks, we have not only seen and interviewed a number of McGrath agents that have seemed to do great business in the last 12 months and over that period. But we've also noticed a bit of a trend that those that have been in the industry for more than five years are building sustainable businesses that will last them the next 30 years. And the gentleman we're interviewing today uh, actually is very much that type of agent. He's building a business for the future. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. But it consistently is doing over 60 sales every 12 months, building a reputation and a brand of integrity, but doing business for the right reasons. Um, Not only is it looking at it's an auction process business, it's a team environment, but also working closely with their peers and colleagues in the office to really build that attraction brand. Uh, It's none other than our uh, Coogee office specialist, Mr. Angus Gorry. Angus, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to jump on with Adrian and myself. Thanks, Troy. Good to be here. Mate, uh, it'd be good to kick off, uh, Gus, just in terms of, and it's an interesting story because you were quite entrenched as an associate agent and then you did make that uh, nexus or that breakaway, if you like, into a standalone. And I remember talking to you about this and, and it's an issue for a lot of uh, associates around when's the right time to do it. And you and I had a conversation and it was around when the right time you've got a skill set around how to list property, right? Because a lot of associates are terrific at actually managing the listing once it is listed. But, you know, getting the listing in the first place is where a lot of the magic happens. And you had a skill that needed to be nurtured and developed. Um, is, that, is that something that you look back on and think, well, I did it at the right time. I could have done it sooner or later. What, what were your thoughts around that? Yeah, it's a, tr- it's a tricky question. Uh, obviously, everyone gets it in their career on when to go out. Um, for me, I had a really... Uh, I got into the industry when I was 19. I was an assistant to a part principal, Debbie Donnelly. And, um, you know, I did probably uh, an apprenticeship. I, I call it an apprenticeship, five-year apprenticeship with Debbie. Um, she looked after me and nurtured me and allowed me to grow as an agent still under her umbrella, which I think is important. So say the first two two or three years, I was purely focused on selling. And then I would say the last two or three years with her, I was focused really on selling and listing. So I was able to go on more and more listing appointments with her. And I she kind of just took a bit more of a backseat and allowed me to develop those skills. So rather than going out on my own and not, having any listing ability, you know, those last couple of years I was listing on my own. So I think it's important um, for associates and also, you know, their bosses to really just try and give them that bit of time for that year before they go out on their own and just prepare them. I know that's what Nick and I worked on when he went out on his own to Mm. really, so it's not just a big jump off a cliff, you know, you're out on your own and then suddenly, you know, (laughs) there's no point being the best salesman in the world if you don't have a listing. So, um, So for me it was just a... A case of um, yeah, just learning listing, um, and then you know, for me, when I went out on my own, it was just like, just like the last year of having a boss, except no one sort of you know guiding me and just having the goals in place. 
Now, I'm glad you said that because it's certainly consistent with the coaching Troy and I and John do around associates have definitely got a a place and have probably got an extended life now because, as you know, Angus, because you've got two associates now, um, they can have a very uh, lucrative career, both in terms of profile and remuneration, still within your ecosystem, if you like, Mm. and it doesn't need to be six or 12 months. It can actually be, you know, three to five years. Um, And until they actually are an 8 out of 10 with listing, it's probably erroneous to deploy them as a standalone listing. And we've all seen plenty of associates where they're in a high uh, energy team and a a team in momentum where they're handling eight or nine listings at a time, then they end up as a standalone and go to door knocking for the first 12 months with no activity. It's quite disheartening and heartbreaking. So I think that that transition piece needs to be very seamless and it's great. You, you, you mentioned you deployed Nick Wise as, as an associate to a standalone. And you're right, you know, we had to work collectively to actually boost his listing skills. Yep. But it was, it was a seamless transition where it could have been very uncomfortable uh, because, yeah, sure, 10 out of 10 with managing the listing, but probably initially a 5 out of 10 is now a 9 out of 10. So I think that that's, that's a really good piece of information for both standalone agents that are listening and associate agents is that there's nothing wrong with being an associate because you want to be a 10 out of 10 with managing the, the, the listing and do a university course on the side, if you like, which is what James and I do, as you know, uh, Angus, with with all the associates in our East group every Wednesday morning. Yep. We're teaching them how to fast-track themselves to be a listing agent, which helps all our, our, our senior agents as well. Troy, you would have noticed this also in Melbourne and Queensland because you do a lot of travelling around there. Yeah, I think listening, and that was the question I was going to ask you, Angus, but it's kind of indirectly been answered in the conversation that you guys just had is... Um, is it key in your belief um, to build a listing presentation that becomes your own uh, or is it more just following the script and the dialogue of the person that taught you that uh, when you first go out on your own? I know that seems like a little bit of a detailed question, but I think this is where a lot of younger agents fall into the trap of, I need to be a mini Angus, I need to be a mini Adrian instead of taking what they've learned from you and implementing it and adding their own special herbs and spices. Yeah, well, look, I think... You don't want to be a mini anyone. You want to create your own name and, and run your own show. Um, in saying that, I don't fix it if it's not broken. So if it's working for your boss and you've picked up some things at work, it's great. I think the best thing about McGuire and in particular the Coogee office is you've got so many good agents in your office where I'm not just learning off one person. I can go and sit next to Chris or Mark McPherson or Marty Senior. And I think the biggest trick um, in this game is just pick up a few things out of everyone and, and work out what works for you. Um, I'm lucky in the sense that, you know, I'm originally from the country and I have a pretty straight shooter sort of nature and I attract those sort of clients. So for me, I don't need to probably fluff around like some agents do um, with clients and promise the world. I'm pretty honest and straight shooter and you'll find most of my clients that are similar to, to me. That's how I attract that sort of business. So, um, you know, it's pretty pretty straight straightforward my my pitch pitch and that's usually why I'm on there in the in the in the lounge room in the first place, which through a referral or my good work as a buyer. So they trust me, that's why I'm in there. They don't go for an hour. I don't need to come back for a second one. Obviously, I don't win them all. 
Um, we never win them all, yeah. but um, I just feel that, that that helps with my business as well, that I have a fair idea why I'm in there because that person's probably similar-minded to me. Yeah, and a lot of listeners, you may not have picked up the fact that Angus just said that he can go and sit with three other agents in the same office and learn from them. Adrian, I know this is something that people don't believe when they first join us as a brand, but part of the McGrath business and part of the McGrath strategy is creating that high-performance culture and idea sharing. Yeah. Um, the fact that we do it every Tuesday morning with our founder, we sit on a webinar and every single person in our business can log in and listen to that. We do a skills workshop. We do this podcast. Sharing ideas, if the wheel, let's not try and recreate the wheel, if it's working, that gets you to a point of confidence and competence that you can then add your own personal touches. And I think, Adrian, that's something that we've emphasised over the past 12 months in this brand, but it's always been such a strong pillar of success for the McGraw brand. Why do you think that's different? Because I know we're exposed to many brands uh, over our travels and we know that it's unique to McGrath, um, but it really does make a difference to agents that are coming through. Like I said, Angus has only been with our brand for just over seven years. He's now making 60 transactions right in excess of a million dollars every single year from a GCI perspective. That's kind of unheard of. Yeah, look, I think Angus is like a lot of our agents who embrace what the benefits of the McGrath brand is, which is tapping into existing IP and not having to reinvent the wheel because others have made mistakes prior to you, others have had successes prior to you, and it's a matter of adopting those strategies, if you like, but then personalising them and bespoking them to your own personality which for, for Angus is you know he's got that country background he's a hard worker he's got really strong ethic in terms of you know long hours and and high customer service you know so you add all that together and no wonder he's heading towards a hundred sales and has now just put, put on his second associate agent so his current team structure is two associates one CSM and his and himself so Back to that, uh, Angus, I know you do work long hours and uh, it does pay off and I know that you're a big advocate on prospecting and we're always pushing agents, you know, down the path of, you know, prospecting leads to face-to-face meetings and face-to-face meetings lead to listings and listings lead to sales. So it's a pretty simple formula. But why do you think that, you know, agents can listen to all of that, but there's only 30% of agents that actually implement it because we all know how to do well in real estate. You just make a bunch of calls and meet a bunch of people, do that every day, five days a week, 50 weeks of the year, and you're going to have a million-dollar business when you think about it. You know, why do you think people don't share your work ethic or philosophy around, you know, doing a lot of prospecting and a lot of face-to-face meetings? Oh, man, it just comes down to hunger. I mean, you, you've either got it or you don't, and you're either hungry to make a name for yourself and make a lifestyle for yourself that you wanted, or you're not. Um, it's not rocket science. It isn't a simple game. I mean, I just, I just get in every day and try and do the right thing by people, work hard, know that I've done the right thing by myself and what I've said is the truth and, and, and just keep picking up the phone and keep doing right. Um, you have days where you hate it, but that's probably every job. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Um, you know, there's some fun days. It's good watching your team enjoy deals that you might, mightn't think happen. And, you know, like situations where, like, you sell a property for a friend and, you know, they get 300000 more and it allows them to, you know, go and buy something you know, twice as good as what they originally thought they could as an upgrade. Opportunities like that, you know, not many jobs allow you to do that. So they're the days that, you know, you love. But I think back to your question, it's just about 
drive, hunger, commitment. I'm not a big goals person. I mean, I know every day when I get home if I've worked hard or if I haven't. Um, doesn't mean, you know, I'm disappointed. It just knows about, okay, cool, tomorrow I can have a better day. So yeah. it, it's, you know, it's how hard you want to push. Um, but for me, if you come in every day with a goal that, you know, you want to be better than yesterday and you want to do the right thing by your clients, um, you know, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, look, and, and it's it's definitely what we've observed, Angus and Troy, around the high performers, which they all share discipline, yep. they share process, they share consistency, and they shared a degree of humility. So we've noticed that, and, and Angus um, certainly um, holds those traits, which is not, not a coincidence that he's doing well. Um, I suppose digging a little bit deeper, Gussie, in terms of what are the key activities, because I think you're pretty modest there in saying you sort of don't have you know, goals, I know that, you, you know, you do have daily goals and yep. you chunk it down because, you know, every day I come in and I see you're on the phone prospecting. So so how many hours would you say you're making prospecting calls and do you do it in the morning or the afternoon or both? Definitely try and do the morning uh, if I can, but I'm happy to prospect all throughout the day. I'm not set on my times. Um, definitely I've got daily calls, uh, call logs, 60 connects a day is always a goal. Yeah. Um, I would do that most days. Uh, that would include talking to past clients and also current clients so mm-hmm. and buyers. Mm-hmm. When it comes to key prop, which is still prospecting, but if I sit down on my database and prospect purely, I'll be aiming to do two to three hours a day, okay. just purely on the database and then uh, buyer work and everything around that. I think if you want to double your business, you just double your prospecting calls. If I sat there for six hours and just purely called my database, yeah. I could be doing 100 deals. It's, yeah. it, it, it's come back to, back to how hungry you want to be. Um, obviously, that becomes more busy. You become busier yeah. and you get caught up in other things. You have two associates. You're yeah. looking at their appraisals. Yeah. It's a time management thing. Yeah. It's hard to get it perfect. I certainly don't have it perfect. Yeah. But it's something, you know, I want to get better at. And, again, you tap back into the brand. It's not hard to pick up the phone, call Peter Chuancy, call someone who is doing 100 deals a year consistently, or you, Adrian, um, and and that's what I do. You know, I'm bouncing off Adrian Bow, James Hayashi, consistent, like, five to ten times a week to yeah. find out how I can better manage my team, what I did wrong on this listing, mm. and, um, you know, it's very rare that I'm calling you to say, hey, I got this, or, hey, this went well. Yep. I'm calling you to say, hey, I didn't get this, or hey, this didn't go well. How can I get better? Um, so you're never, you're never at the top, mate. You know, you got to keep pushing. And um, again, I think it just comes back to drive and hunger. You know, and mate, yeah, that, that's that's the game. Hard, so work, hard work pays off. Absolutely. <laughs> so if, you, if you're doing minimum of two or three hours of prospecting per day, minimum. Yep. How many face-to-face per day would you do? Now, that includes buyer appointments, vendor alignment meetings, listing opportunities, yeah. price checks, all of the above. What would you average per day? Oh, it wouldn't be under five. I'd say five to six per day, yeah. So, so there's some appointments. appointments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where the magic is, um, yeah. listeners. Like, if you're not, if you didn't pick up on that little bit of gold, what we've got to identify is that every activity, every phone call, every email, every DL card, every price drive letter, every social media post, they're all just means to an end to one thing, which is face-to-face. And let me tell you, if you're doing five face-to-face meetings every week, five weeks, you know, 50 weeks of the year, you're talking about um, 25 meetings a week, 
right? Yeah. That's a hundred meetings a month, right? That's a lot of face to faces. You know? yep. So Troy and I did a uh, call live call session in Canberra team yesterday, and it was it was unprepared in that we didn't even advise them to bring call lists. We said we just want you to work off who you got on your phone or your computer. We did thirty minutes, and they did sixty three face to faces. Um, connection. Well, they did a lot more set. connections, but appointment set was sixty three. So you know that's forced coaching to a degree. Around uh, it's a metaphor almost to say you know what anything's possible. Yeah. Let's not focus on talking about it. Let's just pick up the phones and do it. And sixty three is a massive number for probably which was only about fifteen or seventeen people. Yeah. Seventeen in the room. Uh, yeah. Adrian, that's a good point. And Angus, I'd love to ask you this. You know, you mentioned that there's some days you absolutely hate doing what we do, and let's face it, we all do. At some point in our career, we do. Can I ask you, how do you bounce back? How do you bounce back? Is it the why that you have those kind of, not goals per se, but they have you have those drivers to know that you want to create a lifestyle, you want to actually you know, make something of your career? Um, is that what drives you to bounce back harder, or is it just your competitive nature? Well, I'm definitely a bit of both. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself as far as, you know, when I can have an off day or I get off the track, that to get back on it pretty quickly because it's coming back to my focus and, and what I want to get out of myself, not just financial, but, you know, I've got, if a property passes in, I kind of take it personal, like I've done something wrong or that it hasn't come together. So for me, I work twice as hard and, and I take that stuff, you know, I don't like failing in anything, uh, whether it's a listing appointment, but most of all, if someone's trusting me with their biggest asset, and I don't get the price they want or we don't sell it or I look at myself and say, all right, how do we turn this around, how do we make it happen, mm. which is why I focus a lot of my buyer work um, and, and really try and work the buyer up and not the vendor down. So there's agents that are focused on days on market and, you know, if they're going to do 200 deals a year, you know, they have to sell everything prior to auction. Well, that's not getting the best price for the vendor. So for me, if I can just come always back to the fact that every day if I have an off day, the next day needs to be good because I need to make up for that off day because there's clients that, you know, there's campaigns I need to focus on getting a good price. So just because one campaign's thrown me the day before, I've got another nine campaigns that need to go well. So it just comes back to just doing the right thing by people um, and just always remembering that, you know, the vendor's paying your salary, the vendor's paying your wages, they've trusted you. Um, don't forget that and just always do the best thing by them. And um, I think just keep it as simple as that. I'm very transparent with my buyer and seller work as far as look, the buyer knows they're working for the owner. Yeah. They know that. Um, just be transparent about what the process is going to be. I think the most, I sell probably 84% of my stock prior to auction. Um, people don't get that annoyed with my process of selling prior because I'm pretty transparent on how it's going to play out. Yeah. Someone brings me an offer and it's going to be above the price it's going to buy. I make it very clear that if there's not a higher offer today, I'm going to sell it to you. But if someone is in a position to offer more and they can sign a contract today, then, you know, they can offer more. And I will come back to you, but be aware that this is how it's going to play out. It's not that you come in at this price and own it. I don't use that dialogue ever. I never use what will own it because yeah. it, what will own it is a, is a bottom line of what the owner will take. We're not here to get the bottom price. No. You know what I mean? Come to auction or make a good offer. What's a good offer? You tell me. I'm not, I'm not about sort of, you know, getting bottom prices and moving on to the next one. I want the experience to be good for, for my client and then I know when I read the testimonial or when I, you know, 
sign a contract that I've done the right thing by them from the reaction they get and the referrals they get off the back of it. And I think that's my end goal to just never think that, you know, fighting for a business on Friday and then they have the weekend to think about it, never having a fear that, oh, my God, who are they going to run into the street and say something bad about me? Or I, I don't think I've ever thought ever over the weekend what, what, what could go wrong with who they meet and hear about me. It's usually the other way around where, hey, mate, he said you're a good bloke or he did the right thing by him or, you know, and I think if I can consistently do that in this industry, um, that's why I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing well and I'll keep turning up. I think when it when you tread on toes and do the wrong thing by people in all all facets of life, that's what will wear you down. Yeah, it's an easy way. That's what will wear you down. Actually, this, um, is this is what we see. This is what we see so often. People mm. lose a listing, or they have a circumstance that they don't receive a premium price, or they're off track with one campaign. That actually throws their whole week, whole month. Mm. Uh, I hope you got a sense, listeners, that with Angus, it's very much, okay, I've got to make up for that day. Yeah. How am I going to do that? What's the process that I need to follow? My process is buy work. Mm. I'm going to get the buyer and I'm going to work them because I'm working on behalf of the vendor. And I think a lot of people miss that and they start thinking about the pricing's wrong, the strategy's wrong, the marketing's wrong. Instead of focusing on core, our job is to connect vendor and buyer and get them to a point that both are satisfied they've got a good deal. Yeah, and you see it every day on in, in on the football field or any sporting analogy. You know, there's a drop ball or a knock on that that person doesn't you know just sit there and, and, and put their head in their hand and stress about it for 20, 10 minutes. They just go back and tackle harder and or score a try or whatever it might be. Yeah, stick to the process. So the refreshing things I'm hearing from from Angus Troy is number one is that don't delude yourself that you're going to love every part of this job yeah. because mm-hmm. you're not right. Every call, every meeting, every buyer complaint or vendor complaint or every, um, you know, auction, things go wrong, right? So all they are are means to an end to the final result. And if you focus on the process and you make sure that you do the right thing every day, don't delude yourself that you're going to be doing cartwheels down the street seven days a week, right? Because deals are going to fall over. Um, you know, buyers are going to drop off, um, you know, listings you're going to lose. It's just part, part of our industry, right? So it's refreshing that you've managed your own expectations up front because I think what I've noticed over 30 years in the industry, I've seen, unfortunately, quite a lot of delusional people come in and think they're doing cartwheels down the street seven days a week, driving flashy cars, making a ton of money. Uh, but, you know, reality is you've got a desk and a phone six day, five days a week and one day of the week you're actually driving a car, seeing property and, and, and showing houses, you know. So I think managing your own expectations is critical. And the other refreshing thing, um, Troy, I heard from Angus was radical transparency yeah. with your buyers, sellers. So it's not a coincidence that, you know, there's no buyer or vendor complaints, even though I said that can happen. You know, it's more so when deals fall over where we fall off the, off, off, off the track. But, you know, um, radical transparency is the solution around uh, any, any issues surrounding uh, multiple buyer scenarios because if you're very transparent with the buyer and your seller, uh, whether it's auction or pre-auction, and, you know, Angus would probably have the most the most opportunity to have issues because he's selling over 80% pre-auction but he's got no issues because being very honest and having those 60 seconds of courage with the buyer and the seller and say, right, this is my recommendation, this is where we're at, 
if you really want to own this house, this is where I think you need to be. Like, it's really important to talk them through it. Um, so I think that that's, that's important, Angus. Now, obviously, you're doing a lot of expired listings work, a lot of off-market work, um, and a lot of past client strategy work as well. Yeah. So it's not a coincidence that you're doing volume based on all of those. So you put that in over the top and overlay it with your uh, lowest hanging fruit, which is callbacks, you know, from current listings, then you're really talking to a lot of people there, right? Yeah. So what, what would be a typical past client strategy you've got? If I sold from you, with you two years ago, what would be the frequency I'd hear from you? Look, certainly within the first 12 months, um, I'm all about if I'm going to call you, I'm not going to ask how the house is going. I want to add value to the call. Yeah. So whether it's a sale in the street, a market update, something that's relevant to the call, um, that's going to be my point of difference sometimes. So I'm not going to call five or six times in the first year, but you'll hear from me in the first couple, first year a couple of times. You'll be getting obviously you know email and, and, and at least two to four letters per year as well. Um, but you'll get a call around relevant things depending on how poor area it is. But um, and then uh, the the sort of process is sort of twice a year. Um, for forever, really, ideally. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the goal. Um, it's not just me calling, it could be someone from my team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you do have to remember sometimes that just that you, if you did a great job during the process and they really loved you as, as an agent, mm-hmm. you know, within a couple of years, they should sort of forget about that if you don't stay in touch. So yeah, it's important, you know, they might love you to death during the process, but then two or three years go by and then there's, they meet other agents and that's just life, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think the trick is don't forget that you know you do have to stay on on, on the process and, and and not just stay on them but just you know do your job and, and add value to the call and, and share market knowledge. Mm. That's that's a trick really. And if you're not enjoying the game, then it's really hard to do that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because it. it's probably the hardest score. Personally for me, yeah. if I'm not having a great day, for me to pick up the past clients and call everyone that I sold to last year, that would be the worst. Worst thing for me to bounce back on a day. I'd rather get in the hustle of a deal, yeah. um, get in the excitement of a buyer, preparing for an auction, mm-hmm. things like that. But when I'm in a good mood and, and things are going well, when I pick up the phone and want to share a great result, those 100, 150 connects I knock off in a day and a half, they just flow pretty easily. So I think it's also important to, well, me personally, just to work around your day. It's good to have structure, but don't just do it because it's there to be done. Mm. You know what I mean? I think you need to be taking something from the from, from those calls. So mm. I'm a big fan of, okay, you make 60 connects, but what did you get out of those connects? How many yeah. appointments did you actually pull? Did you take something from the calls? Because mm. if you didn't take something from it, they probably didn't. So yeah. I, I, I think that's important as well because there's nothing worse than hearing someone come in and say, oh, I did 200 calls, 100 connects today, yeah. but I didn't book an appointment yeah. or I didn't send a business card. Yeah. Or, or didn't whatever. add value to the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So if you, like well, I said, I think if you're not taking something from a call, yeah. they're not. This is a, this is a big one, Troy, from from myself, John, and your point of view with the coaching about high intent selling, yep. adding value on every meeting, every phone call, every email, um, and also what I'm hearing from Angus is that you know th- there is a strategy, but we don't get bogged down too much in the strategy. It exists. But it's not like, well, between 9.45 and 11.10, we've got to do, you know, we just know that past clients, sure, there's a regular touch point, we're adding value, but we're also developing what we refer to as creative prospecting, where it's just not spamming people with the same information. It's tailored uh, value add to their property, their suburb, their style of real estate, 
um, or their demographic, right? Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, you've got to be one thing for every single person because it doesn't really work, right? No. So that's refreshing to hear that, Troy. Yeah, I think it, it, it speaks volumes about the type of business that uh, we're creating, Adrian. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, most agents out there right now, they're transactional and they're not getting anything from the prospecting calls and they're not adding anything of value to the potential clients. Mm-hmm. And Adrian, so when you talk about high-intent selling, adding value and making sure we're delivering things that are going to benefit the client, that's the type of agent that most clients, they resonate with. Yep. That's the reason why they're coming back. That's the reason why they're coming back and speaking to different agents within our business so often is because they're getting value from the call. So for the listeners out there, if you're the type of agent that's just spamming people and spamming them on calls and emails and letterbox drops, that strategy won't work long-term for you. You need to pick that clientele and really work with them closely and add value in every conversation, every email, every phone call to really see the benefits. Hey, Angus, I know part of your, um, I guess, your strategy, uh, the auction process itself, you said 80% of your business is probably sold prior to auction. Um, The transparency wins in that every single time. And so your dialogue with the clients that this is the process, if someone comes over the top, I'm going to be selling it, but at the same time, it's not the bottom line figure, it's actually a price that we're going to be, everyone's going to be satisfied with. Um, That creates an attraction mechanism in itself with buyers by having the integrity and the transparency with them. Do you reckon that's why most of your buyers then become sellers in the next, you know, because you've seen that cycle happen quite often? 100%, yeah, I think so. I think... um like you said, transparency and also every agent does do it differently. So it's important, um, like Adrian said, like that couple of seconds of courage to just not be pushed around by anyone. I'm working for the vendor. This is how it's going to play out. I don't know how you've done it in the past or what other agents you've dealt with, a different brand. It's not the highest offer on a contract or anything like that. It's about if you want to buy a prior, this is going to be the process. If you don't want to play ball with that, come talk to um, I've never had anyone say, okay, I don't like that process, I'm not going to do it. Because at the end of the day, my process is very simple. Yep. Whoever wants to pay the most money and is in a position to do so, will buy the property. Yep. No <laughs> envelopes sealed, no 5pm on the dot, no lawyer down in Miller's. Like, it's not like that. It's just transparent, it's in writing, and that's how it works. Yep. A number of agents do it. It works if you do it correctly. It's very similar to an option process, but it's just brought forward. Um, and, and absolutely, and people know they might pay more, but they're like, you know what, you did the right thing, and I was happy to pay more because I believe you. Yeah. And also another thing which is important, I know some of the top agents don't do, and it's and that I do and I always make sure, is that like if I'm going to get the business, I'm going to be at the opens, mm-hmm. I'm going to do a building report from that buyer from the start. I'm going to be calling on the Saturday afternoon after inspection or the Monday morning. I'm going to be doing the follow-up. So there'll be a relationship there. Yeah. So when I do call them on the Thursday before the auction and we do have an offer and it is going to sell, if they've met me two or three times and spoken to me and know me and like me and trust me, then they'll pay more. Yeah. If they don't like me or they've never met me and they're like, who's this guy that's coming like a shark, yeah. they're not going to pay more money. Yeah. Therefore, I'm going to sell it to someone else and get less money from my vendor. Goes back to the trust and confidence. Yeah, I was just going to say that Todd, Todd Duncan <laughs> was talking about in Eric, and, and and it works on on the other side, Angus, as well. If you've developed incredible rapport with your vendor, yep, and no mistakes have occurred during the campaign, and you've turned up when you said you're going to turn up, ads go in when you say they're going to go in, and you're doing at least once a week vendor meetings. When the day comes, either at or before or after the auction, when you make a strong recommendation that that offer is is a representative of market value, they won't 
question that. Not for a second. Because you've built that trust and confidence because you've added value. Everything you said you're going to do, you did, and you constantly kept them up to date. But whether it's a buyer or a vendor, if you allow things to fester for three to seven days and don't call them back or don't keep in contact, well, then no one's going to take a recommendation from you whether it's a buyer or a seller. So I think that's really important, that, that, that communication, frequency and quality builds, builds confidence, you know, and credibility. Well, for me, the biggest compliment when a vendor or a buyer throughout a campaign says to me, okay, what should we do now? Or what's the next step? Yeah. Or how do you think we should play this? For me, that's like going to a doctor when you're sick and they're giving you advice. You go to a lawyer for advice. You're their trusted representative and they're saying to you, and, and sometimes it's even better when a buyer says, mate, we really want to buy this. How do we do it? Yeah. What's the process? I said, well, mate, I'm quoting like, you know, whatever the process might be, you know, come in really high, try and, try and you know, take everyone else out. You know, that's, that's just building rapport and trust. And for me, to be an advisor and people to trust you and not think that you're, you know, a slippery real estate agent from, you know, a different time, <laughs> you know, it's not like that anymore, and that's what I've always, you know, tried to be. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Some really good points there, Troy. And I think as we wrap up, um, it's very refreshing to see that we've got, you know, someone with, with Angus's skill set who's not tertiary educated, but he's got an incredible passion and discipline approach um, and just wants to add value, do the right thing and put in the hours. And it's not a surprise that we're, we're actually got a million-dollar agent here. Yeah, and Adrian, I'm just going to say, Angus, thank you so much. I, I, I love um, the countryisms that come out, the straight talk, yeah. um, the honesty, the integrity. You think about the traits that both buyers and sellers want from their professionals, from their advisors. It's exactly that. Mm. They want honesty, they want transparency, and they want to be communicated to. So the fact that Angus is doing all those things and building a business that's going to last many decades, not just the next five years, is something that I think is incredibly important. It's a testament to the way that you've been brought through the industry from all your mentors and peers, but it's also a testament to the business that you're building, I know, with your associates and CSMs. Listeners, um, if you want to connect through to listen more about Angus and uh, everything that he does in the marketplace, uh, feel free to email him, connect with him. His profile is on mcgrath.com.au. He's one of our top performers. We are extremely thankful for him to be on the podcast. Uh, Please replay this episode. I know that I say this every single time we, uh, we interview someone, but... There were some really big gold nuggets in that interview that I think anyone will get benefit from. You just need to put them into practice. Adrian, that's it for another fantastic episode. We've been going for just on uh, 40 minutes, Uh, so time flies when you're having fun. Uh, Gus, thank you so much. Listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you rate it five stars on iTunes. Can't wait to come back to you next week again with another top performer doing outstanding business uh, within the McGraw Group. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you all again.